Let's open our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter number 6. Luke chapter number 6. And we'll read the first 10 or 11 verses this morning and dive right into this text. Luke chapter number 6. And if you would look at verse number 1, if you have your Bible. If not, you can follow along on the screen this morning. Luke chapter number 6. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? Jesus answering them said, Have you not read so much as this what David did when himself was hunger?" They which were with him, how he went into the house of God and did take and eat of the showbread and gave also to them that were with him, which it is not lawful to eat, but for the priest alone. And he said unto them, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. There was a man whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find accusations against him. But he knew their thoughts and said unto the man which had the withered hand, Rise up, stand forth in the midst. He arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Looking round about them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness, communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we do thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I believe it's always right on time. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn today. Lord, I pray that the seed of your word would fall on good ground. Lord, I pray that we would leave differently, Lord, than we came this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would do in our hearts what only you can do. Lord, I know this morning uh, the message and this text, Lord, could be helpful for each one of us. Father, bless in a special way and help us like only you can. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. If you look at verse number 1... And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. So here's Jesus and his disciples are walking uh, through this grain field or this cornfield on, on, on this day and they stop. It's a Sabbath day and the disciples stop and they grab that head of grain or that head of corn and they begin to rub it in their hands and they begin to eat. And of course, as we see in our text, uh, the Pharisees are there. Isn't it amazing that the Pharisees are always following Jesus? I don't even get it. They're always there. When God's doing something, when Jesus is doing something, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're always present. By the way, they're always present in our lives too when God's working. And they're here and they're watching him. And look at verse number 2. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do you that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? So you got Jesus and his disciples walking through this grain field. Man, they rub it in their hands. They take a little bit of it. They eat it. And the Pharisees are right there. And they begin to accuse Jesus and his disciples of harvesting or breaking the law on the Sabbath. 
Now we first must understand here that the disciples were not stealing. They're walking through somebody else's grain field. And the Pharisees might say, hey, you guys are stealing. But there was provision made in the Old Testament law that if you were uh, going through a grain field or a corn field, as long as you didn't use a sickle, then you were able to take some of that and you were able to eat some of it. Deuteronomy 23.25. When thou comest into the standing of corn of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not move a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. So as long as you don't use a sickle, you can get a little grain. It reminds me of my grandmother, Lula Maytali, grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. We'd go into the grocery store, and I even remember her as a little boy going through the produce section. And I watched her as we went past those grapes, and those grapes looked so good. And I remember Grandma just taking a little sampling of that grape. Somebody help me this morning. And, uh, you know, she was stealing is what she was doing, okay? But here in this text, man, it was the law made provision for what the disciples were doing. The accusation here is the disciples are being accused of harvesting on the Sabbath. So why is this a big deal? What is the Sabbath and why would somebody have a problem with this? I remember uh, when I first moved uh, to North Carolina, I I mowed my grass on a Sunday and I had somebody in church ticked off at me. By the way, the Jewish Sabbath isn't Sunday, by the way, okay? So we could even, you know, it's funny how people make these idols out of things that they want to make idols out of, not even knowing what they're talking about. The Sabbath for the Jew would start in the evening time on Friday and would run to evening time on Saturday. And there was some specific laws that were laid out in the Old Testament. That's what the Pharisees here and the scribes are bringing up. The the word Sabbath in the Old Testament comes from a word Shabbat, which simply means this, rest, a day of rest. Okay, For the Jew, it was a time of rest, starting on Friday evening, going all the way to Saturday evening. It was commanded back in Exodus chapter number 20. Remember the Sabbath day. I, remember, I, I think if I remember correctly, this is the 10th commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And in it shalt do, thou shalt not do any work. Nor uh, thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that has won the gates. For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and all that is in them, and he resteth on the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he held it. We remember all the way back to Genesis chapter number 2, it says this. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he has made. And God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, because that is that he had rested from all his work, which he created and made. So this principle of Sabbath and of rest, man, it's something we find all through Scripture, all the way from Genesis chapter number 2. And just as a side note, man, that's a good principle for us to follow, having a day of rest. I would say to the guy that got mad at me for mowing on a Sunday, hey, buddy, I work every Sunday. Anyhow, I'm going to move on a little bit For some of you get mad at me. It's almost like you don't believe me. It's funny how we get caught up on some stuff. In the New Testament, they would meet in the synagogue on the Sabbath. They would worship and rest. Simply the spirit of the Sabbath and the principle of the Sabbath was this. It was rest. So in the eyes of the Pharisees, what the disciples were guilty of was multiple offenses. Man, they were reaping. They were threshing. 
They were winnowing, which simply means this. They were taking that grain and kind of blowing it. You weren't allowed to do that. And then they were, they were harvesting. So the Pharisees love to pick and they love to point and they love to call out, man, things that are happening. So this approach to Sabbath, understand, it continues with Orthodox Jews even today. And here's a story I read that was pretty amazing. It says, in the early 1992, tenants let three apartments in an Orthodox neighborhood in Israel burn to the ground. While they asked a rabbi whether a telephone call to the fire department on the Sabbath would violate Jewish law. Observant Jews are forbidden to use the phone on the Sabbath. Because doing so would break an electrical current which is considered a form of work. In the half hour it took the rabbi to decide yes, the fire spread to two neighboring apartments. Man, focus. Basically, they're focusing on the law without just using common sense. So there were 39 things, 39 different categories that the law would say that you couldn't do from sunset on Friday night to sunset on Saturday night. Let me just give you 39 forbidden categories. And you could go under these, there's going to be all these subcategories. But man, you couldn't carry, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, shifting, uh, grinding, kneading, uh, combing, spinning, dyeing, um, warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, marketing, a whole lot of other inks, okay? Those were all forbidden by the law. Under each one of these, the Pharisees, the scribes, those Jewish religious people, they've added so much more than that. I remember when we were in Israel on Friday night, man, once, it, once, it, once Friday night happened to Saturday night, you could only eat certain things. There was nothing open. Man, the place shut down. Man, all, it, it was simply th- this thing that they believed was this, man, this, and this was commanded by law, man, to d- be a day of rest. So the Pharisees here are calling them out, and they ask Jesus this, why are you harvesting on the Sabbath day. Notice what Jesus says. You got your Bibles open? Look at verse 3. Jesus, answering them, said, Have you not read so much as this, what David did when he himself was hungered, and they were which with him? So he says, hey, don't you remember the Old Testament, the story of King David when he was hungry? And what, what ended up happening? Look at verse number 4. How he went into the house of God. So he goes into the temple and he did take and eat of this showbread, that sacred bread that was in there, and gave also to them that were with him, which it was not lawful to eat, uh, but for the priest alone. So what, it, what Jesus is doing here, and Jesus often does this in the New Testament. I mean, when he was tempted, remember what he did? Man, he goes back and he, he quotes scripture. Here he's giving them a scripture out of and reminding them out of something that happened in 1 Samuel chapter number 21. David came to the temple and they were he was running from Saul and he was starving, okay? And basically he ends up eating of that sacred showbread, which was a major no-no, okay? That was only to be done. Uh, you know, at a certain time and only to be handled by the priest. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, listen, there's times when we must show mercy to meet a human need. We must show compassion. We must have understanding. We must show grace. We must show common sense. And then notice what he says in verse number 5. And he said unto them, 
that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So Jesus is reminding them, and stay with me here because we're going to get to this morning. If you're a Pharisee, you're not going to like this sermon, okay? I'm just getting that out there. But what is Jesus saying here? He's reminding them of his deity. He is saying, I'm Lord. I'm above your law, and I'm above your Sabbath. Look at verse number 6. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he, Jesus, entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. So Jesus is teaching. There's this man here on the Sabbath day who has this physical issue. And notice who's here again. Look at verse number 7 because they're always going to be where Jesus is doing stuff. And the scribes and Pharisees, and notice this next word, watched him. Because that's what scribes and Pharisees do. They're never doing the work of the Lord. They're never serving. They're never, listen, they're never helping anyone. They're watching everybody else. So just think about that for a minute. Watching what everybody else is doing. Look what it says, verse 7. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. Why? That they might find accusation against him. They are literally watching him in the synagogue to see if he would heal somebody. Because they had a problem with him. Look at verse 8. But he knew their thoughts. Listen, he knew what was going on inside their heart. Look what he does. He says to the man with the withered hand, stand up, rise up. And he stood forth in the midst of them, and he arose and stood forth. I can uh, just imagine the scene in this synagogue as all these nosy Pharisees are looking around. What's Jesus going to do? And Jesus says, rise up. And can you just hear those Pharisees go, What is he doing in church? Kind of reminds me of sometimes if we're not careful, we'll be focused on what's going on around us in church and not real, and we'll miss what God's trying to do many times. Man, we'll miss that God's trying to minister to someone. Pharisees are guilty of this so often. I remember one time I was at a church service and a young man came in with a hat on his head. This was back in the day and one of the ushers got all angry with him and got all ticked off with him, went over there and ripped that hat off his head. And I watched that young man walk out those back doors never to walk into church again. You see, sometimes we'll make a big deal out of something that don't even matter. Man, I watched, a, watched one time, I remember, Sarah, you may remember, remember this, a girl showed up in a short skirt for, for a youth meeting, never been to church in her life, and some jerk youth pastor, being prideful, told her to go home and put something on that was modest. Little girl walked out the door. Never. Is everybody tracking me in here this morning? Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll be idiots, and we'll push people away from the Lord. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is this. Man, we've got to understand the heart of Jesus and what he's all about. And if we're not careful, any of us can fall into this trap and we can be Pharisees. And I've been one before. We can be Pharisees and many times we think we're doing good things and we don't even realize that we're doing the work of Satan. These were religious people doing the work of Satan. These were the, these were the people that had grown up in the synagogue and in the house and the rabbinical schools. Look at verse, look at verse number 9. Then Jesus said to them, because Jesus calls people out, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or evil, to save a life or destroy it? So he's saying this, hey, if somebody's dying, man, should I not save them on the Sabbath day? Well, what, what if it's going to be work, Jesus? You're breaking the law. That's what they were trying to trap him. Look at verse number 10. Looking around about all of them, he said unto the man. So the, you picture the man there, picture these jerk Pharisees there. The man standing there, wondering if Jesus is going to heal me or not. And aren't you thankful that what Jesus does here? Look, stretch forth thy hand, and he did so, <clears throat> and his hand was restored whole 
as the other. So what does Jesus do here? Jesus kind of sticks it in the eyes of these Pharisees. And he says this. <laughs> I could just I would love to know what was going on in his mind. These these thinking religious jerks. So worried about, you know, so because they weren't really worried about the law, were they? What were they really focused on? They weren't focused on the law. Because the law is not a bad thing. Man, it's our schoolmaster that pushes us to Christ. The word of God says that. They weren't worried about the law. They were more worried about catching Jesus doing and his disciples doing something wrong. And look what happens in verse number 11 after he heals this man. Because this is what Pharisees do. When God's at work, even though God's at work, Pharisees don't like it. Look at verse 11. And they were filled with madness. The word here literally means rage. And they communed with one another what they might do to Jesus. They began to talk about how they could stop his ministry. I mean, they began to talk about how they could bring accusation against him. Now, you're going to hear a lot of messages about Pharisees as we go through Luke because there's a whole lot in there about them. Here I was thinking as I read this, as they're ticked off, the Pharisees, they had a different focus than Jesus, didn't they? They had a, man, they had a different idea about what being, let's just put it this way, a Christian was. The legalists here were focused on the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. And let me just say this this morning. Religion and rules without love produces legalism. And legalism reproduces religion and rules without love. It's a nasty cycle. And here's the point this morning. If we're not careful, you can fall into it and I can fall into it. Religion without mercy and compassion you know, listen to me real close here. It is not the Christianity of the Bible. It is not the way of Jesus. The heart of the legalist focuses on the letter of the law over the Lord of the law. Their true heart was showing in this text. They did not love the people, did they? And what does Jesus say is going to be the greatest commandment after loving him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind? It's to love your neighbor as yourself. They did not love the law because it wasn't the law that they were actually focused on. They did not love God. Romans 14 verses 1 through 11 says this, Him that is weak in the faith. So he, Romans 14, and we'll teach through this at some point, uh, they, they weren't really concerned about the Sabbath, but either way, this is what Paul says about it. Well, I want you to talk because this, this is very important if we can wrap our minds around what I'm about to teach us. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that ye may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despiseth him that eateth not. Let him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. Here it is. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. We need to stop right here real quickly and think about this. The Jews were, who was the law given to? It was given to the Jews, right? 
What the Jews were guilty of in the whole New Testament was beginning to take their laws and press it even on the Gentiles. Okay, For instance, you remember circumcision. If you weren't circumcised, the Jews would, con- would consider you not spiritual. If you, didn't, if you ate meat that was offered to idols, which is what our text in Romans 14 is specifically dealing with, they wouldn't, con- they wouldn't consider you spiritual. And this is what this is talking about here. Let me keep reading. One man esteemeth one day above another, Another esteemeth every day alike. And I love what this next phrase says. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day. So he that man would take that day. You know what it says? He regardeth it to the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord. He doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. For he giveth thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, eateth not and giveth thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to self. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived. that He might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set not? thy brother. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Paul, in in Romans chapter number 14, says this, it is just as wrong for the one who doesn't eat to judge the one who does as it is for the one who does eat to despise. Both are wrong. Is everybody trying me on this? This is something we have to deal with personally for each one of us. Our Sabbath is not a commitment to a day. It's a commitment to a person. Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. True believers and true followers of Jesus care about others. Three things I'm reminded of and I need to be aware of so I don't have a pharisaical heart. And by the way, let me just say this, it can happen to any of us. If you find yourself, and let me just say this, if your quote-unquote religion makes you feel superior to someone else, it's not the religion of the Bible. If what you believe makes you feel better than someone else, it's not what Jesus teaches in the Scriptures. And I I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where I had a pharisaical heart. Right, and I'm... Let me just say, first of all, I'm not talking about judging what's going on in the world. I'm not talking about that. Man, there's some things we're going to stand up, we're going to preach against. This is where the Bible says it. This is where we stand. I can do no other. But there's some gray areas. Don't you wish everything, there was a fine line and everything was black and white? It's just a whole lot easier, isn't it? And unfortunately, over time, we've made a lot of things black and white that are gray. Somebody better help me preach this more like you believe this. Because it's easier for us just to say, oh, Instead of dealing with issues of the heart and self-control, it's easier just to say, uh-uh, and totally cut it. And that may be for you what you need to do, but if it doesn't say in the Bible, that may not be for everybody. And we could go through, and there's hundreds of them, of things that we've made, quote-unquote, the measurement for spirituality that are not mentioned in the Scriptures. And many times, because we struggle with something, it's easier for us to draw a line. Is everybody tracking me on this? So we've got to be careful about that, because... Our brother or our sister may have the liberty to do something that we can't handle, so we must have a higher standard in that area. By the way, the weaker brother in Romans chapter number 14 is the one that has the higher standard because he can't even give in to a little bit because he's going to fall. Man, we can all be careful because, listen, if we're not careful, instead of being the disciples in Jesus, we'll have the identity of the Pharisee looking down our nose at other people. 
You know, throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, guess who Jesus condemned more than any other? I don't see him condemning the prostitute. He saved them. Man, he doesn't condemn the tax collector. He says, follow me. Man, he doesn't go after, he doesn't go after Paul, that terrorist, and condemn him to hell. He changes his life and uses him to be one of the greatest preachers in the world. Man, he doesn't condemn that Jesus denier Peter. Man, he, he lets him preach Pentecost. But you know who Jesus rips over and over again? <laughs> the Pharisees. The religious. Those that think they got it all together. And you and I must guard against having a pharisaical heart. The heart of the legalists and the Pharisees, number one, I want you to notice this, focuses on other sin instead of their own. <laughs> they focus on everybody else's sin instead of their own. passage I thought of right off the bat was Matthew chapter number 7. It says this, And why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that's in thine own eye. Or how thou say to thy brother, let me pull the mote out of thine eye, and behold the beam that is my eye. Listen to what it says. Thou hypocrite. First, cast out the beam of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly, and cast the mote of thy brother's eye. You know what he's using the illustration there? He's saying, listen, joker, you got a dadgum two-by-four sticking out of your head, and you're worried about a splinter in somebody else's eye. How foolish do you look when you do that? That's what he's saying. You're walking around like this. When you've got something in your eye and you're looking at your brother who's just got a little speck in his eye, he says you're a hypocrite. If we're not careful, we'll focus on... Is everybody awake in here this morning? If we're not careful, we'll focus on everybody else's sin instead of our own. I think it was Augustine that said this. I need to, I need to listen, you, and you've heard it before. Oh, preacher, we need to love the sinner but hate the sin. Augustine said, no, we need to love the sinner and hate our own sin. It's a lot easier to hate everybody else's sin. <laughs> but what about your sin? It's easy to look down on somebody else's sin when they're doing it wrong. But what about yours? It's easy to judge that other brother that may not dress the same way as you, may not look the same way as you. May See, we get so wrapped up in stuff that's so stupid. I, I used to hear preachers preach against tattoos all the time. But they failed to read the verse before it. They use something out of the Levitical law that says you shouldn't mark your body, but they forget the, the very verse before it says you shouldn't round your beard either. Shouldn't shave. Guess what, Brother Jason? Every single one of them had a clean face. See what I'm saying? If we're not careful, we'll pick and choose those things that we want to preach against and those things that we, we, you know, those hobby horses that we have. And, you know, we don't cuss and we don't chew and we don't hang with those that do, but we've got our own issues. We've got our own problems. And it's so much easier for us to look at somebody else's downfall because that makes us feel a whole lot more spiritual, doesn't it? When we look at somebody else's problem, we start thinking, oh, I'm, I'm glad I ain't like they is. If that's how you feel about another brother especially, man, you better, you better kind of check yourself of who you're following this morning. Man, these Pharisees, they focus on everybody else's sin. They never look at their own. Man, they never look at their own. 2 Corinthians 13, as Paul's addressing issues within the Corinthian church, he says this, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. You see, some of us, if we're not careful, as we've been in church for a long time, we like to run around with a Baptist badge 
and a clipboard keeping track of everybody else's downfalls. Man, we've got to be careful. We've got to guard against this. This is a major problem when we're examining everybody else instead of examining ourselves. Our biggest problem, as Paul says in Romans chapter number 7, ain't everybody else's sin, ain't everybody else's flesh, it's my flesh. And Is everybody? Y'all have heard me use the illustration, man, when we lived in Baltimore, those houses were right on top of each other. I mean, right next to each other. I could be in my kitchen and spit. We went by our house the other day, and I said, we, we were there for a funeral. Was it last weekend? And I'm like, how did we live in this God-forsaken place? Somebody help me this morning. Drive by that house. I mean, they're on top of each other. We had a split-level house. Y'all know what that is? And it had a deck coming out of that second level, kind of where the kitchen was, and we'd walk out there. And we had a dog named Turkington, which Turkington is no longer with us. Last year, Turkington passes. Was he 14 or 13? That was a great dog. He was 14 years old, man, like a family member. But I remember Turkington was small, and he had to, Turkington was kind of over there scratching at the door and barking a little bit. And you know what that means? He's got to take care of business. So I'm like, I'm going to let Turkington out. So I opened that, that door, walking out of the, the kitchen there onto the deck. And that deck overlooks, you can see in each other's backyards. I mean, there's no privacy. It's terrible. Like, I don't like it. I like being, never mind. I like just having trees around my place. I can do what I want, okay? I remember walking on that deck, Turkington's there, he needs to go down those stairs uh, to do his business in the backyard. And I was looking, we had some new neighbors move in next door. And these neighbors, and I'm a little bit particular on some things, and these neighbors, man, they're they're they look like they were from North Carolina. Somebody help me. <laughs> it looked like they was having a yard sale in that backyard. There was junk everywhere. And I was getting in the flesh for a minute. Man, I y'all know what I'm talking about? And I know you're never this way with anybody, but, man, the, my toes started burning. My whole body, man, just lit on fire. I'm like, these stinking redneck jokers next door. Man, it looks like they're having a yard sale. They need to clean this up. This is a nice neighborhood. And when you live on top of each other like that, man, you want things nice. Man, they're busy. It's like, you know, I was getting in the flesh, man. Seriously, I was gonna, I'm going to go say something to them. I'm going to go get them straightened out. Like, man, cleanliness is next to godliness. That's one that's not even in the Bible either that we always say. Some of y'all think that's in there. And my, my, my mom did, okay? Mom, I thought that one was in there. I found out I was 40 years old before I found out it wasn't. And I was like, man, I saw that. And I was like, man, I was like, man, they got so much crap back here. I was mad. So I walked down those stairs. You ever have one of those moments where God just punches you in the stomach? Huh? Man, he just punched me in the stomach. Look under my deck. This is a true story. We just, I'd forgot like three or four months ago, we had remodeled a bathroom. Literally, in the wide open, there's a toilet sitting there. Man, there's drywall busted up that I hadn't cleaned up. Because, man, that's work. And you know what a pastor does when he sees work? He walks right on pastor. Somebody help me this morning. Walked right past, you know, God hit me in the stomach. You know what he taught me in that moment real quickly? He said this, so often... We're worried about the junk in everybody else's backyard when we got enough junk in our own. And if you're not careful, you'll live your life that way. It's a miserable place to be. I remember another instance. I was riding down 95. I hate 95. I don't know if you've had to ride down it. We were out on visitation on 95. I was there with our Spanish pastor, Pedro Morales, and he had this old celebrity car. 
and it was the color primer paint, okay? It was primed. It was nasty. It's a gray primer with red interior. I ended up, God has a sense of humor. I ended up with that car. I used to make fun of them, and then we didn't have no money, and I ended up with it. It was so bad, we would make visits for the church. We'd park around the block, okay? That's true. We would park on the block and walk around there. But we're riding down 95. He's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. I mean, one of those moments, and, you know, we're driving. State trooper pulls up behind us. And, and, you know, I'm saying no big deal at first. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm just thinking, man, wouldn't it be hilarious if he got pulled over with me in the car? Like, this would be awesome. Just give him a hard time. And those, bloop, bloop, that siren goes off. And I'm like, oh, yeah. He's going to get it right in front of me. I'm over there. I told him, I said, Pedro, man, they're going to get you on cops. I'm singing bad boys, bad boys, you know, going through this whole thing with him. They pull us over. It gets better. The door opens on that state trooper, and y'all may not think this is funny. It was hilarious to me. It's a lady state trooper, so it's just getting better. Every second's getting better. She steps out of that car. She's headed straight forward. I'm like, this joker's getting a ticket. Man, well, she gets over the car. She don't go over to his window. She walks over to my window, and she, you know, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? And I'm thinking, yeah, because this joker was speeding, you know. I literally ended up at that moment getting a ticket. Because they had click it or ticket, and I was over 18, and I didn't have my seatbelt on. <laughs> Here's the point, and this is how we are so often. Many of us are worried about that person sitting next to us, what they're doing, if they're speeding, what's going on in their life, their sin, and we're the ones who have the issue, man, because our seatbelt ain't clicked. Man, we need to make sure we're not focused on everybody else's sin instead of our own. Matt, hold on one second. The second thing I want you to notice is this. This Pharisee, the heart of the Pharisee, they don't have the proper view of self. They don't have the proper view of self. If your faith makes you feel superior to others, then you're devoted to a religion and not a relationship. It's interesting. The more a person thought of himself spiritually, the less God uses that person in Scripture. The less a person thought of themselves spiritually, the more God used them. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's think about Paul here for a minute. Paul, who planted more churches than anyone. Paul, here's your chance to spiritually brag on yourself. You know what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11? For in nothing I am behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Wait a second, Paul. You wrote most of the books of the New Testament. You wrote more, more Bible than anyone else. And you know what he says? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners for who I am. Guess what he says? I'm chief. Paul, you've probably seen more saved than anyone. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, he says this, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gave the increase. The more a person thinks of himself spiritually, I'm a somebody spiritually, I've done this and I've done that, I run this ministry, I work in this area. Listen, it tells us a whole lot about who you really think is doing the work. 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, How spiritual are you, Paul? For I'm the least of the apostles. Paul, you've accomplished so much. You must understand how great of a Christian you are. Ephesians chapter number 3, Unto me who am less of the least of all the saints. Paul, don't you want to be praised from the pulpit for the work you do? Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better 
than themselves. How about John the Baptist? Christ said he was the greatest born of one woman. He must have been. He was the great. Even Jesus said he was the greatest born among women. Mark 1.7, he preached saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, whose latchet of his shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down on the loose. How about Isaiah? You remember the prophet Isaiah? He said this, Then I said, Woe is me, for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. How about Jacob, who God used to father the twelve tribes of Israel in Genesis 32? I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all truth which thou hast showed me thy servant. Genesis 18.27, Abraham testified that he considered himself just dust in ashes. Listen, spiritual pride, y'all listen to me, will kill your spiritual life quicker than anything in this world. Thirdly, I want you to notice this. They know and love the law of the Lord, but not the Lord of the law. Isaiah 29, 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips, they do honor me, but they have removed their heart from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Ezekiel 33, 31. And they came unto these as people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear my words, but they will not do them. For their mouths they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. Here's the, here's the thing. It, it's an issue of the heart. So often, guess what we focus on? We focus on the outside. Matt, you can help me out. I remember back in the day when somebody got saved, you know the first thing we wanted to do? We wanted to slap a suit on them. Seriously. We wanted to make them look a certain way. Make them look a certain, man, to fit into that little mold or to be that certain thing. Listen, can I just say this morning, maybe today you need to repent from your pharisaical heart. Maybe you've spent your life looking down on other people. Maybe today you need to turn in your Baptist badge. Stop worrying about everybody else. Start examining yourself. Maybe put it this way. Maybe today you need to fall out of love with religion and fall in love with Jesus. You see, Jesus brings freedom, Jesus brings liberty, Jesus brings grace, and Jesus brings mercy. Forgiven people know how to forgive. People that have been shown mercy know how to show mercy. People that have received grace can show grace. Listen, we've got to understand Listen, God doesn't want us running around trying to correct everybody and trying to fix everybody. There's only one this morning that can fix anybody, and that's Him. He's the only one this morning that can. Listen, I just want to encourage you this, that if you have a heart of a Pharisee, you will waste your life. You'll waste your life, and you will miss what God has for you. Listen, He has a life of grace, a life of peace, a life of mercy, a life of forgiveness this morning. So here's the, here's the challenge this morning. Are you, are you one of the Pharisees? following everybody around just waiting for them to mess up or are you one of the disciples or are you one of Jesus that's walking around loving people, healing people, helping people making people feel better about themselves you know if we're not careful we'll fall into this and we wonder why nobody ever wants to come to church with us nobody wants to be around us, nobody loves us some of us spend our whole day at work shoving politics which has nothing to do with scripture shoving politics shoving religion down people's throat. We want them to fit into a mold. We, we got problems because people are going places that we don't think they should go. Doing things that we don't think they should do. Listen to me. Those people at work's problem isn't where they go. Those family members you have, their problem isn't what they put into their body. 
Their problem, listen, you know what their problem is? They don't know Jesus. And they can live in a moral box and still go to hell one day. But let me just tell you this. Jesus gets a hold of them. All the things in their life that need to be worked out are going to get worked out. So let's stop trying to change everybody. Let's stop trying to make everybody like us. And let's love people and let God do what God does. And you know what God does? He changes people. Hey, when he gets a hold of somebody, they become a new creature. He brings freedom. He brings liberty. He breaks change. See, what happens so often is somebody will change because of a man of a preacher and it wasn't changed because of God and guess what happens when that preacher when that man's gone they go back to the exact same thing that they were doing here's all I'm trying to say to you this morning is some of us I just want to encourage you if you've got that pharisaical heart I want to encourage you to give it to the Lord because here he can change you it's a lot harder for a pharisee to be changed though I'm just being honest with you some of us need to get broken before God again Start realizing that our spirituality has nothing to do with who we are, but everything to do with who He is. It doesn't have to do with your works and all your standards and all the stuff you think you do that gets His approval. There's only one thing that got approval for you, and it was the blood of the Lamb. His imputed righteousness. And I'm thankful to report to you this morning that my past sin, my present sin, my future sin is covered by the blood of the Lamb. doesn't mean I don't have consequences for it, but let me just say we need to stop worrying about it. Worrying about everybody else. We need to worry about ourselves. We just need to fall in love with Him. Fall in love with His grace and His forgiveness and His mercy. And we need to show the same grace, forgiveness, and mercy that He shows to us to other people. What if that person that you know that's away from God, instead of us being judgmental, pharisaical jerks, what if we actually showed them grace and love? I wonder what would actually happen in their life. You want to know how Christ-like you are? Here's a hard one. How many Pharisees despise you? How many lost people love you? Something to think about this morning. Maybe some of us today just need to take our Baptist badge and lay it on the altar. Need to take that pharisaical heart and just get real because we know we got as much junk in our lives as that other person does. And we just need to give it to him. Maybe we just need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. You know, you know what revival is? It's falling in love with Jesus over and over and over again. Realizing he's all I need. My good works can't do it. Man, nothing I can say can do it. Man, only he can do what needs to be done in my life. Heads bowed, eyes closed, let's stand on our feet. The altar's open if you need a place to pray this morning. Matt's going to sing.